chapter three of our friend the charlatan this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org our friend the charlatan by george gissing chapter three hair the hue of an autumn elm leaf eyes green or blue as the light fell upon them a long thin face faintly freckled over its creamy pallor with narrow arch of eyebrow indifferent nose childlike lips and a small pointed chin thus may one suggest the portrait of iris woolstan when dyce lashmar stepped into her drawing-room she had the air of one who has been impatiently expectant her eyes widened in a smile of nervous pleasure she sprang up and offered her hand before the visitor was near enough to take it so kind of you to come i was half afraid you might have gone out of town not that it would have mattered i did really want to see you as soon as possible but monday would have done just as well she spoke rapidly in a high but not shrill voice with a drawing in of the breath before and after her speech and a nervous little pant between the sentences her bosom fluttering like that of a frightened bird as a matter of fact cried lashmar with brusque cordiality dropping into a chair before his hostess was seated i had gone out of town i got your letter at alverholme and came back again sooner than i intended oh oh panted mrs woolstan on her highest note i shall never forgive myself why didn't you telegraph or just do nothing at all and come when you were ready oh when there wasn't the least hurry then why did you write as if something alarming had happened cried the other laughing as he crossed his legs and laid his silk hat aside oh did i i'm sure i didn't mean to there's nothing alarming at all at least that is to say well it's something troublesome and disagreeable and very unexpected and i'm rather afraid you won't like it but we've plenty of time to talk about it i'm at home to nobody else it was really unkind of you to come back in a hurry besides it's against your principles you wouldn't have done that if i had been a man a man would have said just what he meant replied dyce smiling at her with kindly superiority he wouldn't have put me in doubt no no but did i really write like that i thought it was just a plain little business-like note indeed i did it will be a lesson to me indeed it will and how did you find your people all well i hope well in one way in another but i'll tell you about that presently dyce had known mrs woolstan for about a couple of years it was in the second twelvemonth of their acquaintance that he matured his method with regard to women and since then he had not only practised it freely but had often discussed it with her iris gave the method her entire approval and hailed it as the beginning of a new era for her sex she imagined that her own demeanour was no less direct and unconstrained than that of the philosopher himself in reality the difference was considerable though several years older than dyce her age being thirty-four she showed nothing of the seniority in her manner towards him which for all its impulsiveness had a noticeable deference at moments something of subdued homage you don't mean to say you have bad news she exclaimed palpitating you too why then you have something of the same kind to tell me said dyce gazing at her anxiously tell me yours first please do no it's nothing very important so say what you've got to say and be quick about it come 
mrs woolstan's bosom rose and fell rapidly as she collected her thoughts unconventional as were the terms in which lashmar addressed her they carried no suggestion of an intimacy which passed the limits of friendship when his eyes turned to her their look was unemotional purely speculative and in general spoke without looking at her at all it's something about mr wrybolt iris began with a face of distress you know he is my trustee i told you didn't i i see him very seldom and we don't take much interest in each other he is nothing but a man of business the kind i detest he can't talk of anything but money and shares and wretched things of that sort but you know him you understand the name of wrybolt set before dyce's mind a middle-aged man red-necked heavy of eyelid with a rather punctilious bearing and authoritative mode of speech they had met only once here at mrs woolstan's house i'm sure i don't know why but just lately he's begun to make inquiries about len and to ask when i meant to send him to school of course i told him that len was doing very well indeed and that i didn't see the slightest necessity for making a change at all events just yet well yesterday he came and said he wanted to see the boy len was in bed he's in bed still though his cold's much better and mr wrybolt would go up to his room and talk to him when he came down again you know i'm going to tell you the whole truth and of course you won't mind it he began talking in a very nasty way he has a nasty way when he likes look here mrs woolstan he said leonard doesn't seem to me to be doing well at all i asked him one or two questions in simple arithmetic and he couldn't answer well i said for one thing len isn't well and it isn't the right time to examine a boy and then arithmetic isn't his subject he hasn't that kind of mind but he wouldn't listen and the next thing he said was still nastier do you know he said that the boy is being taught atheism well what could i answer i got rather angry and said that len's religious teaching was my own affair and i couldn't see what he had to do with it and besides that len wasn't being taught atheism but that people who were not in the habit of thinking philosophically couldn't be expected to understand such things i think that was rather good wasn't it didn't i put it rather well iris panted in expectation of approval but merely a nod was vouchsafed to her go on said dyce dryly you're not vexed i hope i'm going to be quite frank you know just as you like people to be well mr wrybolt went on and would have it that len was badly taught and altogether led in the wrong way and that he'd grow up an immoral and an irreligious man you must remember mr wrybolt i said rather severely that people's ideas about morality and religion differ very much and i can't think you have sufficiently studied the subject to be capable of understanding my point of view it was rather severe wasn't it but i think it was rather well put go on said dyce with another nod well now i'm quite sure you'll understand me we do generally understand each other you see i was put into a most difficult position mr wrybolt is my trustee and he has to look after len though he's never given a thought to him till now and he's a man of influence that is to say in his own wretched vulgar world but unfortunately it's a kind of influence one's obliged to think about len you know is just eleven and one has to begin to think about his future and it isn't as if he was going to be rich and could do as he liked i'm sure you'll understand me with a man like mr wrybolt not so many words interposed the listener smiling rather disdainfully i see the upshot of it all you promised to send len to school 
mrs woolstan panted and fluttered and regarded lashmar with eyes of agitated appeal if you think i ought to have held out please say just what you think let us be quite frank and comrade-like with each other i can write to mr wrybolt tell me plainly said dyce leaning towards her what was your reason for giving way at once you really think don't you that it will be better for the boy oh how could i think so mr lashmar you know what a high opinion exactly i am quite ready to believe all that but you will be easier in mind with lennett school taught in the ordinary way now be honest make an effort i perhaps one has to think of a boy's future the pale face was suffused with rose and for a moment looked pretty in its half tearful embarrassment good that's all right we'll talk no more of it there was a brief silence dyce gazed slowly about him his eyes fell on nothing of particular value nothing at all unusual in the drawing-room of a small house of middle suburb type there were autotypes and etchings and photographs there was good comfortable furniture the piano stood for more than mere ornament as mrs woolstan had some skill in music iris's widowhood was of five years duration at two-and-twenty she had married a government office clerk a man nearly twice her age exasperated by routine and lack of advancement on her part it was a marriage of generosity she did not love the man but was touched by his railing against fate and fancied she might be able to aid his ambitions woolstan talked of a possible secretaryship under the chief of his department he imagined himself gifted for diplomacy lacking only the chance to become a power in statecraft but when iris had given herself and her six hundred a year she soon remarked a decline in her husband's aspiration presently woolstan began to complain of an ailment the result of arduous labour and of disillusion which might make it imperative for him to retire from the monotonous toil of the civil service before long he withdrew to a pleasant cottage in surrey where he was to lead a studious life and compose a great political work the man had in fact an organic disorder which proved fatal to him before he could quite decide whether to write his book on foolscap or on quarto paper mrs woolstan devoted herself to her child until when leonard was nine she entrusted him to a tutor very highly spoken of by friends of hers a young oxford man capable not only of instructing the boy in the most efficient way but of training whatever force and originality his character might possess she paid a hundred and fifty pounds a year for these invaluable services in itself not a large stipend but large in proportion to her income and iris had never grudged the expenditure for in dyce lashmar she found not merely a tutor for her son but a director of her own mind and conscience under dyce's influence she had read or tried to read many instructive books he had fostered guided elevated her native enthusiasm he had emancipated her soul these at all events were the terms in which iris herself was wont to describe the result of their friendship and she was eminently a sincere woman ever striving to rise above the weakness the disingenuousness of her sex if you knew how it pains me she murmured stealing a glance at lashmar but of course it won't make any difference between us oh i hope not why should it said dyce absently now i'll tell you something that has happened since i saw you last yes yes your own news oh i'm afraid it is something bad perhaps not i rather think i'm at a crisis in my life probably the crisis i shouldn't wonder if these things prove to have happened just at the right time 
my news is this things are going rather badly down at the vicarage there's serious diminution of income which i knew nothing about and the end of it is that i mustn't count on any more supplies they have no more money to spare for me you see i am thoroughly independent he laughed but mrs woolstan gazed at him in dismay oh oh how very serious what a dreadful thing pooh not at all that's a very feminine way of talking i'm afraid it is i didn't mean to use such expressions but really what are you going to do that'll have to be thought about iris with fluttering bosom leaned forward you'll talk it over with me you'll treat me as a real friend just like a man friend you know how often you have promised to i shall certainly ask your advice oh that's kind that's good of you we'll talk it over very seriously how many hours had they spent in what iris deemed serious conversation when dyce stayed to luncheon as he did about once a week the talk was often prolonged to tea-time subjects of transcendent importance were discussed with the most hopeful amplitude mrs woolstan could not be satisfied with personal culture her conscience was uneasy about the destinies of mankind she took to herself the sorrows of the race and burned with zeal for the great causes of civilization vast theories were tossed about between them they surveyed the universe from the origin to the end of all things of course it was dyce who led the way in speculation iris caught at everything he propounded with breathless fervour and a resolute liberality of mind determined to be afraid of no hypothesis oh the afternoons of endless talk iris felt that this was indeed to live the higher life by the bye fell from lashmar musingly did you ever hear of a lady ogram i seem to know the name answered mrs woolstan keenly attentive ogram yes of course i have heard mrs toplady speak of her but i know nothing more who is she what about her a maid-servant entered with the tea-tray dyce lay back in his chair gazing vacantly until his hostess offered him a cup of tea as he bent forward to take it his eyes for a moment dwelt with unusual intentness on the face and figure of iris woolstan then as he sipped he again grew absent-minded iris too was absorbed in thought you were speaking of lady ogram she resumed gently yes a friend of mine down at alverholme knows her very well and thought i might like to meet her i half think i should she lives at hollingford a rich old woman going in a good deal for social questions a widow no children who knows he added raising his eyebrows and looking straight at iris she might interest herself in in my view of things she might replied the listener as if overcoming a slight reluctance of course it all depends on her own views to be sure i know very little about her it's the vaguest suggestion but you see i'm at the moment when any suggestion however vague has a possible value one point is certain i shan't take any more pupils without meaning it you have decided this question for me it's time i look to other things i felt that exclaimed mrs woolstan her eyes brightening that was what decided me i see now that it was though perhaps i hardly understood myself at the time no more pupils it is time that your serious career began lashmar smiled nodding in reflective approval his eyes wandered with an upward tendency his lips twitched opportunity opportunity he murmured of course it will come i'm not afraid oh it will come chanted his companion only make yourself known to people of influence who can appreciate you 
that's it dyce nodded again i must move about for the present i have read and thought enough now i have to make myself felt as a force mrs woolstan gazed at him in a rapture of faith his countenance wore its transforming light he had passed into a dream of conquest by constitution very temperate in the matter of physical indulgence lashmar found exciting stimulus even in a cup of tea for the grosser drinks he had no palate wine easily overcame him tea and coffee were the chosen aids of his imagination yes i think i shall go down to hollingford who asked iris is the friend who promised to introduce you there was a scarcely perceptible pause before his reply a parson once my father's curate he added vaguely a liberal-minded man as so many parsons are nowadays iris was satisfied she gave the project her full approval and launched into forecast of possible issues but it's certain she said presently in a lower voice said after this i shall see very little of you you won't have time to come here if you think you are going to get quite rid of me so easily answered dyce laughing his laugh seldom sounded altogether natural you're much mistaken but come now let us talk about len where are you going to send him has ribolt chosen a school during the conversation that followed dyce was but half attentive once and again his eyes fell upon mrs woolstan with peculiar observancy not for the first time he was asking himself what might be the actual nature and extent of her pecuniary resources for he had never been definitely informed on that subject he did not face the question crudely but like a civilized man and a philosopher there were reasons why it should interest him just now he mused too on the question of mrs woolstan's age regarding which he could arrive at but a vague conclusion sometimes he had taken her for hardly more than thirty sometimes he suspected her of all but ten years more but after all what were these things to him the future beckoned and he persuaded himself that his promise was such as is set only before fortune's favourites before leaving he promised to come and lunch in a day or two for the purpose of saying good-bye to leonard yet what in truth did he care about the boy leonard was a rather precocious child inclined to work his brain more than was good for a body often ailing now and then dyce had been surprised into a feeling of kindly interest when len showed himself peculiarly bright but on the whole he was tired of his tutorial duties and not for a moment would regret the parting i'm sorry he said in a moved voice i hope to make a man of him after my own idea well well we shall often see each other again and who knows whether i mayn't be of use to him some day what a fine sensibility he has together with his great intelligence was iris woolstan's comment in her own heart and she reproached herself for not having stood out against ribolt as he walked away from the house dyce wondered why he had told that lie about the friend at alverholme would it not have been better from every point of view to speak plainly of connie bride where was the harm he recognized in himself a tortuous tendency not to be overcome by reflection and moral or utilitarian resolve he could not much as he desired it be an entirely honest man his ideal was honesty even as he had a strong prejudice in favour of personal cleanliness but occasionally he shirked the cold tub and in the same way he found it difficult at times to tell the truth End of chapter three